the year uh, 1989 was a pretty significant year for me. Um, I'll just take you back there for a second. 1989 was the year the Berlin Wall was starting to collapse and, and the Iron Curtain was start, starting to fall. 1989 was actually the first year that Microsoft rolled out Office. That was their first edition of Office came out that year. 1989 was also the year that, that Nintendo uh, developed the Game Boy and put the Game Boy out there. But um, 1989 was a significant year for me because while all that was kind of happening on the global stage, tucked away in a little tiny town called Balakula on the coast of British Columbia, God was, was busy uh, calling me to follow him. And I was at a time in my life where I was seeing some of my teenage friends who were following Jesus, and I was seeing what God was doing in their lives, and God was kind of working through that to begin to call to me a little bit, but I didn't really know what this was about. I was, I was scared. I didn't know where he was going to lead me. I didn't know what he was going to ask me to do. And so in that place, I did what a lot of people do in that place. I, I was resisting him. But then in 1989, um, I remember it just like it was yesterday. I was sitting in the back row of my little church that I was a part of, was hanging out back there with my, my two brothers, some of our friends. We were at a, a youth conference, and a guy was preaching like a, like a man who was convinced that eternal destinies were at stake. And as he preached and finished, he gave one, an old-fashioned old altar call. And I remember standing there, and in this moment, it didn't matter who was preaching. It didn't matter what was being preached. It didn't matter who was standing around me. The only thing that mattered in that moment was the voice inside of my heart that was saying, Rich, I want you to take a step of faith, put your trust in me, and follow me. And uh, God was asking me to surrender him. He was asking me to trust him, no matter what kind of ridicule I might face from the people that were standing around me. He was asking me to trust him, no matter where this whole journey that he was inviting me to would lead. And so as I walked down to the front, and I stood at the front of this little auditorium, one of the things I wasn't expecting was just the sheer joy that flooded my heart, that flooded my soul as I said, yes, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. And all I could do was just kind of stand there like uh, a fool, trembling as tears just kind of came streaming down my face. Jesus had called me into a life of discipleship, and little did I know in that moment that I would, just, I would never be the same. And this morning, what we're doing is we're kind of marking the end of this journey that we've been on that started way back on January 8th, where we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple and what it means to make disciples. And in this series, we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about what it means to, to, uh, the, to be a disciple yourself. We've talked a little bit about the different stages um, of, in, a, in a discipleship journey, about how we start off as being spiritually dead. We don't know Christ. We're dead in our sins. And then as we grow, we eventually become spiritual parents who are reproducing other disciples in our lives. We talked about how that happens best through intentional relationships but here's what I want to do this morning as we wrap this up. I want to take all that we've learned, all that we've talked about, and I want to bring it back to two people, you and Jesus. What is Jesus saying to you? Because at the end of the day, this discipleship journey that we're on is about you following Jesus wherever it is that, that he is leading you. And as we wrap up this, this series this morning, I want to go back to the text that we started out with in week one. And it's the story in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22, where Jesus calls four men into a life of discipleship. And in, this, and in this story, we capture what a life of discipleship is really all about. So if you've got a Bible app 
or you want to follow along on the screens, that'd be cool too. Um, we're going to be in ba- uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And the Bible says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, he saw two brothers. So Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And one of the things that I really like about this short story is just how ordinary it is. I mean, there's nothing really out of the ordinary. It's, it's just ordinary people. They're doing ordinary things. Here's Peter and Andrew, two brothers, James and John, Two, two other brothers, and they're just ordinary guys. They're fishermen. They're not celebrities. They're not some religious leaders on some kind of pilgrimage, or they're not at some kind of mountaintop experience with God. It was just another day, like any other day, there was work, and there was, there was family. Kind of sounds a lot like what our lives look like. But then Jesus shows up. The, the same Jesus that they had heard teaching, the same Jesus that they had heard um, and, and seen doing all these crazy miracles, Jesus comes strolling down the beach and he walks right into their workplace and then he invites them to follow him. Now, he, does, he could have at least waited until church on Sunday, right? Or he, he maybe should have waited for some kind of big conference or seminar, but no, he doesn't do any of that. He just shows up at their workplace while they're on the job and he invites them to follow him. He was there to call them into a life of discipleship a life of following and becoming like him. And he does the same thing with you and with me today. I believe that this morning what God wants to say to you is the same thing that he said to Peter, to James, to John, to Andrew. He wants to say to you, follow me. Follow me. He, he wants to speak to you right where you're at. And, and I don't think any of us in this room would say we're extraordinary or we've done anything extraordinary um, we kind of get that we're sort of we're just ordinary people, right? I know some of you, maybe you're, you're like my auntie said, I was their little angel or something. But at the end of the day, we're just ordinary people. Now, some in the room are maybe nurses, school teachers. Some work at BP, some in Talco. We're just ordinary people. Some are students at a middle school or high school in town. We have ordinary faith. And there's no Mother Teresa's or Billy Graham's in the room. All of us struggle with insecurities and fear. All of us have our flaws. All of us have our weaknesses, our our struggles. And yet today, in this moment right now, Jesus is coming to you in the everydayness of your life, in all your imperfections and weaknesses, and he's calling out to you simply saying, follow me. Follow me. And and if you're a student, he just doesn't make this call to grown-ups. He's calling you today, too. He's inviting you to follow him. The call to a life of discipleship is, first of all, an invitation Jesus makes to ordinary people. He makes it to ordinary people. Don't make the mistake that a lot of people make in thinking that to really be a follower of Jesus, you know, to really lay down my life and go where he wants me to go, I've got to like, have my act cleaned up. I've got to have it all together. I've got to be this. I've got to be that. At the end of the day, I just need to be extraordinary. I've got to be something else. No, that's not how it works. This call that he makes, it's for you, it's for me, ordinary people. One of my favorite verses to read that I read a lot around here is found in in the book of 1 Corinthians where it says this. This is the Apostle Paul. 
He's speaking to the church in Corinth, and he says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. So think of what you were when Jesus came strolling up, came strolling along wherever you were in that moment, and called you. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, and here's why he calls ordinary people into this extraordinary walk of following him. It's so that, no one, so that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Jesus seems to make this point of calling ordinary people to follow him so that when those ordinary people begin to be changed and become like him and maybe one day see God do some awesome things through their lives, who's going to get the credit at the end of the day? It's going to be Jesus. Jesus calls ordinary people to follow him. I was actually this week talking with um, some people from our church and just talking about how I think this is one of the things that kind of makes our church unique. You know, people can walk in here and begin to look around and get to know some people and you're going to figure out pretty quick, oh, hey, this is just, these are ordinary people. Nobody's claiming to have it all together. Nobody's claiming to be like way up here while everybody else is down here. No, we're just ordinary people. God comes to us in our everydayness, in our ordinariness, and he calls us to follow him, and he's inviting you to do the same thing today. Next, the call to a life of discipleship is an invitation to become an apprentice in the way of Christ. Now, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing some of you at some point have been a part of an apprenticeship, maybe in your workplace, maybe in, in school at some point, but an apprenticeship really involves two things. It involves um, classroom instruction and, and studying books and all that kind of stuff, but then it also involves some on-the-job training. That's what an apprenticeship is. Um, you're going to be a doctor one day, so you, you are an apprentice. You walk alongside of a doctor and learn how to do surgeries and all that other kind of stuff. If you want to become a welder, you, you don't just study a bunch of books and figure out how to weld. You actually, you will at one day, t- point in, in your journey, you'll, you'll become an apprentice and learn what it, what it looks like and what it means to be a welder. It is the exact same thing with being a disciple. You read the Bible, so there's kind of like the, the, the class, classroom instruction where you read your Bible, you come in here on a Sunday, and you, you hear a sermon, maybe you're part of a class or a small group where you study something. There's, there's that part of it, but that's not all there is to it. There's some on-the-job training where you're an, an apprentice in the way of Jesus. Jesus understood this when he said, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained, will be like their teacher. So you're under somebody, you're apprenticing under somebody who is, who is showing you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Now, for the 12 disciples, this, this was kind of easy, right? Because they saw Jesus. They, following him just meant you would tag along behind him and he would, you would see what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus because he, he, he was there in the flesh. He would then ask you, the, the 12 disciples, to do some stuff, to help out, to do to go preach or whatever, then he would bring them back and they would talk through things. It was pretty simple back then, but it's a little different now because Jesus, he's still involved in the process, but it looks a little different, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus, he, he's involved by the, his Holy Spirit works in us, but he's not the one primarily doing the discipling anymore. Guess whose job it is to do that? Yours and mine. We are the ones who have been called to 
disciple people. And the idea is that someone would be discipling you, that you'd be their apprentice, and that you would be eventually, eventually be discipling someone else who you would be showing what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That word disciple, I mean, if you study it in that, the original language the Bible was written in, it simply means to be a student or to be an, an apprentice. That's what this call is. When Jesus says, follow me, he's calling you into a life that of, you, you become an apprentice in the way of Christ. Next, the call to a life of discipleship is an invitation that will cost you. It'll cost you. And I could, you know, I could stand up here this morning and just talk all about the benefits of following Jesus. Because there's a lot of benefits to following Jesus. I could talk about all that stuff, but you got to know something this morning. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it this morning. There is a cost. There's a cost to following Jesus. Following Jesus always has a cost. Making people your your focus in life, there's always a cost to that. And in this story of Jesus walking along the beach and calling these four fishermen, you see the, the cost very, very clearly in this, this story. You have these, these four guys, and what do they do? They end up uh, leaving behind their careers. They end up, in, end up leaving behind their goals and their ambitions in life. And, uh, you know, maybe Peter had this, this plan. Who knows? Maybe he was planning to put an addition on his house, and so he was working his butt off to provide for that addition. That, it, it cost him that. And then here's this, this picture of them with their dad, and they're, they're working alongside of their dad. And there's that noise again. But here, here they are alongside of their dad, and don't miss what's going on here. Because in the ancient Jewish way of life, they would have been instructed in this, this, this career as a fisherman from the time they, they were young, working alongside their dad. Their dad's showing them what, what this is all about. And here they are. Jesus calls them. They follow Jesus. And who are they leaving behind? Their dad. And, and there would have been, um, I mean, it would have been a bittersweet moment. Their lives would just drastically change. There's a cost. There's a cost of following Jesus. And Jesus, he never minced words when he taught about the cost. Listen to what he said. He said, whoever does not, whoever does not carry their, their cross and follow me, cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able... He will send a delegation with the other, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Like I said, Jesus does not mince words. He said, whoever does not give up everything. He didn't say it, some things. He said, everything cannot be my disciples. And there is a cost. And to be honest, in Western culture, we are not big fans of a Christianity that involves cost. We're into all the benefits and all that kind of stuff, but, but not too into the cost. Last Sunday, I, I talked a little bit about this man that I, I had the privilege of doing coffee with. His, his name is Pradeep, and he's a pastor from Nepal. He's a man who he understands the cost of discipleship. When he first gave his life to Jesus, 
His, uh, his, his dad and mom booted him out of the house. He uh, has been like an outcast in his society. It's illegal to be a Christian in Nepal. He regularly, uh, he, when he first gave his life to Christ, when there was, people beat him um, to, to this day. It's not uncommon for people to walk by his house and throw rocks at his house where his wife and two kids live. There, he, he understands the, the cost that there is to following Jesus. And in light of the way people are being discipled in Nepal, much more than here in, in our country, um, the group of, of guys that I was with, we, we asked them, okay, what do you see as being the problem in, in the American church? What, what do you, why are things different here than they are over there? And so he very reluctantly, this guy's a very humble man. He did not want to come across as a critic at all. So he was, super, we had to really prod him to get him to, to give us an answer to the question. And then eventually he, he said this. He said, the problem with the church in America is that everything is based on personal convenience. Everything's based on personal convenience. So if our faith, if it, if it helps us become better spouses, better parents, better, better this, better that, then, then we're into it. Or if, if it doesn't mess with the budget, or if it doesn't mess with the schedule, then, then yeah, we're in. If it doesn't make us uncomfortable, doesn't stretch us, doesn't put us in a place that we don't want to be, then we're in. But if it's going to cramp with, with our style, we'd rather not. It's, it's convenience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor and author who wrote a book 60 years ago called The Cost of Discipleship. He was the right guy to write that, a book by that title because he understood the cost. He actually, his life came to, to an end at the, the hands of a, a Nazi firing squad. Another pastor and author, um, though, he, he wrote a book or actually preached a sermon recently that was kind of a spinoff of Bonhoeffer's book. And this pastor, his name's David Platt, he preached a sermon called The Cost of Non-Discipleship. So you hear around the church from time to time, you hear about the cost of following Jesus. But he preached on the, the cost of non-discipleship. The only thing more costly than a life of discipleship is a life of non-discipleship. It's the only thing. And in this sermon that he preached, he mentioned some of the costs of settling for, for casual, cultural, kind of non-discipleship Christianity. Um, he talked about how um, one of the, the, the costs of non-discipleship is never experiencing the depth of relationship with Jesus that comes as you, as you just put your faith and trust in him and you go wherever, wherever it is that he leads. There is a depth of, of relationship with Jesus that comes as you do that. Another cost of non-discipleship is being left with a faith that leaves us bored, leaves us restless, it leaves us without any purpose greater than trying to get to church on a weekend from time to time. Another cost is our, our sons and our daughters, our friends, our family being stuck, living a life without Jesus, a life that just is, is going through the motions of, of everyday life, not knowing the joy of salvation, what it means to have a purposeful life of discipleship. Another one of the, the costs of non-discipleship is is a world in need of the gospel. I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of people on this planet in the billions who have never heard about Jesus. And if we just settle for a life of non-discipleship, a life of just kind of doing our thing, kind of cultural Christianity, they're left without the gospel. There's a cost to living a life of discipleship, but it's not as costly as the alternative. But a life of following Jesus, there's, there's a cost involved in that. Next, the call to a life of discipleship is an invitation to become a disciple maker. It's an invitation not just to be a disciple, 
but it's an invitation to become a disciple maker. Not just an invitation just to live Christianity where you're, you're protect, perpetually taken in and cons- consuming. It's an invitation to grow in Christ and then one day become a disciple maker yourself. To teach someone else what it means to follow Jesus. To have someone in your life who's an apprentice of, of yours in learning the way of Christ. Jesus made it really simple with these 12 disciples. He actually makes it pretty simple with us. He comes along with these 12 disciples, and he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And then what does he do for the next three years? He pours into these guys. He invests in these guys. He brings them into his life. He goes into their life. They're around him. They're seeing what it looks like, what, what the way of Jesus looks like. And then eventually he starts involving them and having them go out and serve others and minister to others. He does all this, and then at the end of three years, he gives his life on the cross. Three years later, he rises from the dead. He hangs out with them for a little bit longer, and then just as he's about to leave this earth, he's got the guys right there around him, and then he says these words that we've been saying over and over again, this, this key verse. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, he's looking at them after all this time that he spent with them, he says, therefore, guys, listen, go and make disciples. It's like he's saying, okay, I've been pouring into you. Now it's your turn. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's saying, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. One of my favorite preachers to listen to online is a guy named um, Francis Chan. And he was talking recently about making disciples, and he used this great illustration that I'm going to rip off from him this morning. But he, he talked about how when we were, we were kids, we, most of us played the game Simon Says. Remember how it works? Simon Says, put your hand on your head, and so you put your hand on the head, or your head. Well, he was talking about how when it comes to Simon Says, we know, we know what, how it goes, but, when it com- but, but in the church, when it comes to Jesus Says, it's a totally different game. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, you don't necessarily have to go do it. You just have to memorize it. Or you just have to kind of talk about it. And then he, he went on to talk about how if he was to go ask his daughter to go clean her room, he doesn't expect her to come back two hours eight, later and say, hey, Dad, I've memorized it. You said, go and make disciples. He doesn't expect his daughter to come back and say, hey, Dad, I didn't just memorize it. I can even say it in Greek. This is how you say, go and make disciples. And Greek, he, you don't expect your daughter to come back two hours later and say, hey, listen, Dad, so I've got a group of friends together, and we're going to learn what it means to clean a room for, for the next several weeks. That, that just wouldn't fly. It's the same thing when it comes to church. For some reason, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, we think, yeah, that's for somebody else to do. We'll memorize it. We'll maybe even study it a little bit. But no, we'll leave that to someone else. Listen, Jesus says, you've got to understand this. If you are a follower of Jesus, his command to you is go and make disciples. And I know what you're probably thinking. I don't have any clue, Rich, how to go and make disciples. I don't have anything to offer, Rich. I'm broken. I'm I'm still trying to figure out this thing myself. I don't know enough. I'm not qualified. Let me say this. Most of us in this room, Most of us in this room are more qualified to make disciples than than we even realize. We read that that verse earlier that 
where Jesus is talking about teachers and students. And, and you know what makes a great teacher? Someone who's a, a great disciple maker? You know what really makes a great disciple maker? It's not someone who knows all this stuff. Not someone who's got a ton of verses memorized. Not someone who's been to Bible college and all this kind of stuff. What really makes a great disciple maker is someone that loves and cares for people. Those are the best teachers, aren't they? You don't care if it's your football coach. I don't care if it's your math teacher. I don't care if it's a pastor. The best kind of teachers are the people, the teachers that love you. My daughters, you, if you were to ask my two oldest daughters, ask Tori and Taylor, hey, who's your favorite teacher at Ferndale High School? I can tell you right now who they're going to say right off the bat. They're going to say, they, just, they call him Shaw. Mr. Shaw, but to every, all the students, he's just Shaw. John Shaw. And, and, and the reason that they love him so much it's not because he's a great PE teacher. I mean, he's probably a great PE teacher, but the main reason they, lo- they love him so much and they like him so much is because he's, he loves and he cares for them so much. I've been hanging out with Mr. Shaw at Woods, and students will come walking into to, to, to Woods, and they don't kind of look, oh, there's a teacher, and they kind of shuffle off to the side and try to avoid their teacher. No, they're like, they see him, he sees them, he lights up, and they're like big hugs. You'd think they hadn't seen each other in years. He just saw them like that morning, but he loves them. The best kind of disciple makers are not the, not the people who have it all figured out. They're not the people who have just their heads stuffed full of information. They're people that love others. They care about others. Yes, some spiritual maturity is important, not as much as you think. It, it's, it's mainly about loving people. It's the most important thing. Next is this, in the final point this morning, the call to a life of discipleship is an invitation to experience life in Jesus every single day. It's an invitation to, to center your life on the one who is life. It's an invitation to make Jesus the one who said, hey, you, you've been searching after all these other things that leave you empty, that leave you dissatisfied with life. You've been running after jobs and careers and stuff and all that. Listen, I'm inviting you to come center your life on me who's the living water the bread of life. You've been trying to get through the storms of life all on your own. Listen, I want you to follow me so that, you know, when you're in that boat and the storms and the waves are crashing, listen, you've got the king of kings. You've got the all-satisfying almighty God with you. That's what this call to discipleship is ultimately about. It's about centering your life on Jesus. Yes, it's about that other stuff, but it's about taking up your cross, following in the footsteps of our Lord sharing in his life, sharing in his suffering, sharing in his purpose, sharing in his passion, and sharing in his, in his joy. Jesus said it like this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is the, he's the fuel of discipleship, and his call is an invitation for you and for me to just wrap our lives, to wrap our lives around Jesus. There is a discipleship crisis in the church today. There's a discipleship crisis. Yes, churches are growing. Yes, there's more mega churches in, in our country than, than ever before. But there's a discipleship crisis in the church today. And, and, and just to kind of prove the point this morning, if Jesus came along in, in, in his final moments, so he is just getting ready to exit off of, of the earth, and he's about to leave his purpose, what he came for with 
He's about to leave this in the hands of his disciples. And in his final words, which are going to be his most important words, he's going to save that moment. He's not going to to leave with some fluff. He's He's going to give these guys his most important instructions. In his final words to his disciples and to you and to me, he says, go and make disciples. And if he says that, then every one of us should, have, should be able to answer two questions. We should be able to answer, the first question is, who is discipling me? And who am I discipling? Who is discipling me? And who am I discipling? And just the fact that, that most in this room can't answer that question, in fact, even most pastors can't answer that question, would say there's a discipleship crisis in the church today. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And maybe you're going, well, Rich, I show up to church every once in a while, and, and I hear from you, and I'm, I'm, I, I get discipled that way. If that's the answer, that's, that's the wrong answer, just to put it out there. I cannot disciple the three or 400 people that call this church their home. I would be an absolute idiot if I thought I could. Jesus had 12 that he discipled. It would be stupid of me to think I could disciple three or 400 people. It just does not work that way. Who is discipling you? You need to have somebody in your life who is, who, is, who is walking alongside of you, who knows you, who knows where you're at in your spiritual journey, who, who, who knows what you struggle with, who knows what you need prayer for, someone who is walking alongside of you, discipling you, who knows how to help you grow in your faith. Who do you have in your, in your life like that? And if you don't have somebody, begin pursuing that. Pursue that. Great place to start. Get yourself in a small group. Get around where someone is intentionally discipling that small group, helping them grow in their faith. But who is discipling? You need to have somebody who is discipling you. And then the next question is, who am I discipling? Who am I discipling? And don't make this more complicated than it has to be because it's really not that complicated. It's really about intentionally pouring your life into people. You know, it's not even about systems and structures and all that kind of stuff. Jesus comes along before the church was even established, before all the systems and structures that we have in church today were there. Jesus comes along and he gets these 12 guys and he just starts pouring into their lives. He begins to just love on them and care for them and, and, and disciple these guys. Be, begin looking. Who can I begin to disciple? If you're here in the room today and you're a parent, you've got kids at home, guess where it starts every single time? It always starts with your kids being intentional with your kids, pulling, pulling out a Bible from time to time, and, and having some of that, you know, the, the, the classroom instruction of the apprenticeship and, and teaching your kids what God's Word says. But don't just leave it at that. Have some on-the-job training too. Hey, how did it go in school today? Were you able to be kind to somebody? We read this in God's Word about being kind and compassionate. How were you able to do that in school today? Begin discipling your kids. If you're here today, maybe you're a Kids Rock leader. You're over there in Kids Rock, and you've got a group of, of kids that every week you're getting to know, and, and you're, you're teaching them, and you're caring for them. Go beyond just to be in a classroom setting for you. Really get to know those boys and girls, and get to know what, what, what's going on in their lives and how you can pray for them. Get to know their parents. Let their parents know what, what you're, you've been learning in Kids Rock and how that can apply to the, to the journey. Maybe you're here and you're part of Celebrate Recovery and you lead a small group at Celebrate Recovery. Don't just make it about a class. Don't just make it about getting through a bunch of information. Begin asking Jesus, how can I really love and care for these people that I'm serving? 
Begin to get to know them. You know someone's got something coming up this week. Give them a call. Get on the phone. Hey, how can I be praying for you? How did it go? Begin to just build relationship with people. Maybe you're a small group leader. You know, I have been a part of small groups for a long, long time, and there's a difference between being a disciple-making small group leader and being just someone who's hosting a group of people in your home. Begin to love and care for people. Begin to do life together. Check in with people when, when you know they've got something going on. But, but this is what discipleship is all about. It's about investing in people's lives. It's about loving people. It's about caring for people. Jesus is asking us, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you've come in here with. You know, maybe you've come here this morning just discouraged. Maybe something else is completely on your radar. And maybe you, you came in here this morning hoping for something different. I want you to know wherever you're at, Jesus is asking you, his call to you is the same as it was to these four disciples. He's saying, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Follow me. And, and wherever you're at this morning, that's what he's asking us to do. That's what he's asking us to do as a church, to be about more than just weekend services, to be about more than trying to put some programs together. He's asking us to be a disciple-making church, a church that is about helping others follow Jesus, helping others become like Jesus, and then helping others to get on this mission of making disciples. And as we, as we just say yes to that, whatever that looks like, Jesus' name will be lifted high. Who knows how Jesus is going to transform our lives and those of the, the, the people around us. But it's, it's all for the sake of his name. It's for the sake of his glory that, that we follow him. And so he's asking us today, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Would you pray with me? Lord, I just want to say thank you that, Jesus, you extend that invitation to us. God, I'm so, I'm so thankful today that your invitation is about much more than rules. It's about much more than just learning some new behaviors. It's about much more than just becoming better people. Lord, your call to each one in this room this morning God, is to, to enter into a life of following you wherever you lead, obeying whatever it is that you're asking us to do, saying, yes, Jesus, yes, I'll go wherever you lead, regardless of the cost, regardless of how I might change in this, regardless of what I might become, what, I might, what, what it is that you might ask me to do, Jesus, I, I say yes. I say yes to you. And Lord, I pray this morning, that, Father, we would have the courage to say yes. Lord, I know that there's somebody in this room this morning that you, you, you've got a hold of their heart right now and you are pushing in, you are pressing in, you're calling them to leave behind safe, comfortable, cultural Christianity and you're, you're inviting them into a life of discipleship. But, God, they, they are afraid. They're afraid. And, God, I want to pray that Jesus... God, you give them the courage just to say, yes, Jesus, I, I don't know where this is going, but yes, 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 I will follow you wherever you lead. Father, I pray for the person here that's just, that has this doubt. They're going, my life is too broken. My life is just too messed up. Um, I just can't. I just can't. God, I pray that this morning you would just come along and encourage them. That Jesus, it would just be, they'd have a moment, God, just like Peter and Andrew and James and John had on that beach, God, where they, they hear your voice calling them. And, and God, I just imagine the look on your face as you're inviting Peter and Andrew and James and John to follow you. 
God, I just see you like just this look of anticipation in your eyes, just this look of excitement like, hey, go on this journey with me. It's going to be hard, but yes, it's, it's going to be all that, but it's going to be awesome. You're going to have the, 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 the King of Kings, the all-satisfying, almighty God as, a, as your friend and leader and companion in this journey. Lord, I pray that they would just see you and hear you this morning, and God have the courage to say yes, to say yes. God, I don't know what this looks like. God, this, this call to a life of discipleship. God, I know it looks different, God, for every person in this room today. But Lord, I pray, God, we just continue to press into your heart. Lord, we press into your heart. God, may we not be a church that says, no, discipleship is somebody else's job. Lord, may we be a people that continually, God, till the day we die, live with your voice in our head saying, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations nations. God, grip us with that, I pray. Grip us with that, I pray. God, it's for your kingdom. God, it's for the sake, God, of our families. It's for the sake of our sons and daughters who don't know you. God, it's for the sake of our community. God, where where thousands of people don't, don't know you. God, it's for the sake of those people, God, on the other side of the world who have yet to hear the, the saving name of Jesus. God, it's for the sake of them, that, God, we say, yes, we will follow you. God, we will be about making disciples. God, we will do whatever it is, God, that you're asking us to do. God, I pray all this in your good, awesome, God, all-satisfying name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.